listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Okay, good. Everything seems to be fine. Just, it's all good. Don't, don't panic. Day in and day out. Just, it's all you need to know. You don't have to panic. You don't have to worry about COVID-19. I'm going to dig into that in a couple of minutes. And I'm going to take you to the World Health Organization, my good friend Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. He's going to have a few words for me. But I want to begin with the story that matters the most to everyone in this city today. It is, we have been on the edge of our seats for hours, but I, I am happy to report to you that the cat has been rescued. <laughs> This is the news you need today. Really. I know. It, like this is this, this morning we had an uh, editorial meeting on the TV side. I'm, I'm also the uh, news anchor at Global News at 530. And so we do a planning meeting. And in the morning, we're like, okay, well, what are we going to do about COVID-19? Well, we got the story about the travel. We got about, you know, the fears about the pandemic. And oh, my God, there's a cat on a pole. And so what do we do? Well, you do the obvious thing. You send your crime specialist. That's what you do. You get Catherine McDonald, who is the city's premier crime reporter. I mean, I'm in awe of Catherine and how she can find people and convince people to talk. And I'll tell you what you do. If you got a cat up a pole, you send Catherine McDonald. Here is Global News crime specialist Catherine McDonald with the only kind of cat call that is allowed these sort of days. Come on down. (laughs) Come on. Jump. Very scared. God, I hate this freaking cat. All of this at Dufferin and Bloor, the neighborhood kitty. Apparently, this is a feral cat. Not, it's just one of these cats that comes by. And now it's, so what happened today, if you haven't seen the video, uh, there was a cat on the top of a hydro pole. Hashtag hydro cat. Hashtag hydro. I kid you not. This is what we're. And I tell you, you know what? I just, all I could do is watch the stupid cat this morning because I thought, well, at least I'm not worried about COVID-19. That is Catherine McDonald reporting that the cat has now been rescued. They brought in one of these hydro buckets and a guy goes up in the bucket and he gets the cat and the cat comes down. Everybody applauds. The Ontario miracle. (laughs) Your tax dollar at work, folks. We're saving cats. Worldwide pandemic, zombies, we're all going to die. The cat is safe. Oh, how about the Stephen Del Duca story? Did you hear this one in the news? Stephen Del Duca, who is the front runner to become the next liberal leader, turns out his pool is illegal. I'm sorry, sir, but your pool is illegal. So even though he knows, apparently... Uh, that you can't build the pool. He still builds the pool in the back of his yard, which is, I guess it's on a ravine, and there's some protected land from the uh, Toronto uh, Conservation Authority, and he still builds it. He says it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed by the pool. How, and ladies and gentlemen, on March the 7th, the liberals in a delegated convention are likely to elect Del Duca as leader, Possibly on the first ballot. And I'm going to explain that details on that later on in the program. But, you know, welcome to the wilderness, liberals. I, 
Just because the guy is good at organizing and has had a head start on everybody else, he's got the go train issue. You remember that? There was all kinds of controversy over whether or not he tried to put a, a, a stop right in his riding, and that's great ammunition for the uh, conservatives against El Duca. And now, you want you want an elitist Toronto story? Well, Mr. Del Duca's pool is illegal. How about that? There you go. That's all you need to know. Welcome to being the third party for another electoral cycle, liberals. Uh, anybody remember, it was, this was quaint, remember when we were all going to die because, not because of COVID-19, but we thought we were going to die because of a nuke meltdown in Pickering? Remember that? It seems so long ago now. Remember that? All our phones went off on a Sunday morning. You're going to die. Please remain calm. Nope. Turns out we got a new report on that. Turns out it was a, a duty officer. Duty a duty officer at the Provincial Emergency Operations Center who thought he had logged out of the live system in a training uh, operation and then just sent it out. And then as soon as he did it, it was like, have you ever done this? You ever sent an email? You're like, oh, no. Oh, that was reply all? (laughs) And you're like, why don't we have a recall button? But let's get us to the worldwide pandemic, shall we? And Tedros Ananum... Gabrazis, Tedros, my friend, who uh, often explains to me how to pronounce, how to pronounce the new COVID-19. Oh, right. Thank you, Tedros. And how is it that that is spelled? C-O-V-I-D hyphen one nine. Thank you. It is my friend Tedros, who this morning held a news conference, and I would describe his demeanor as terse. Tedros, you seemed a little tense. I mean, we are on the verge of a global pandemic. I understand it's not a pandemic right now, but what do you got to tell us? How? Just calm us down a little bit. What do you got to say about COVID-19 right now? Tedros. We have already seen a surprise. Mm-hmm. There could be more surprises. Oh. Oh, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. There could be more su- surprises is not what I'm looking for with COVID-19. I don't want surprises. I mean, all re- you know that later on today we're going to find out more about the sixth case now here in Ontario. The husband of the fifth case, who is now tested positive, both of them are now in self-isolation. I can't, Tedros, I'm freaking out a little here. This is not a time for fear. All right. <laughs> Tedros is... Okay, thanks. This is Tedros, who is the um, Director General of the World Health Organization. Uh, But here's the thing, okay? The CDC in the United States says a pandemic is coming. It's not if, it's when. So we know. And then I know everybody's like, just, dude, calm down. It's okay. No problem. But here is the number that's wigging me out a little bit. You might have heard of this. The overall fatality rate in China from COVID-19 is 2.3%. And then there was originally like, well, you know, the flu kills a lot of people. And this is not near as bad as SARS. No, SARS is way worse. So you think to yourself, that's 2.3%. That's not bad. Like you're thinking about your RRSP maybe. Like, well, that's, that's a low return. It's nothing to worry about. So just let me put this in perspective for you. How many people you know? How many, how many friends you got? hundred? Let's just say a hundred. You have a hundred people that you know closely. 
two of them aren't going to make it. Actually, 2.3. I don't know who the point three would be. But two of them, and, and I, that's going to freaking me out. And Tedros, I don't know what to make of that. It's what's happening in the rest of the world that's now our greatest concern. Outside China, there are now 3,474 cases in 44 countries and 54 deaths. We're at a decisive point. For the past two days, the number of new cases reported in the rest of the world has exceeded the number of new cases reported from China. And in the past 24 hours, seven countries have reported cases for the first time. So we are at a decisive moment. Decisive moment. And the thing is, is I, as much as ranting and raving as I do, what, Tedros, what, what do you want to tell me? But the most important thing is to calm down. I see. I see. Okay. I mean, you know, and I think, listen, as a broadcaster, I have a, an absolute, absolute uh, requirement to, to remain calm. And I want to be calm. And I think we all want to be calm. Please remain calm. But the, here's, here is the thing, is we know that even though things seem to be leveling off in China, there is further spread in these other countries. That's what we just heard right there. And so things are not going to be better before they're worse. And so we got to get a hold of ourselves here, because as Tedros is about to tell us, this virus has no respect. This virus does not respect borders. It does not distinguish between races or ethnicities. It has no regard for a country's GDP or level of development. The point is not only to prevent cases arriving on your shores. The point is what you do when you have cases. Thank you, Tedros. Obviously, just need to remain calm. And to put it into perspective, even though I gave that mortality rate, which is terrifying, this is not out of control. It's just something that the world is going to have to deal with for some time to come. And we are at this point where it's like it's just been this drumbeat, coronavirus, 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 every day, day in, day out. I mean, you, you need a cat on a pole. To be able to distract you. When we come back on the Alan Carter radio program. Oh, by the way, Tedros, one more thing from you. What, what about my fear and my panic? This is not a time for fear. Oh, okay. Thank you. Welcome back as we continue our coverage of what's going on with COVID-19 all around the world. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has now asked all elementary, middle and high schools nationwide to close until late March to help control the spread of COVID-19. The request caught many local officials by surprise. It's not legally binding, but because it's the Prime Minister and it's Japan, it is expected to be followed. It will affect 12.8 million students. Man, if you thought rotating 
teacher strikes in Ontario were bad. Is that possible for us? Obviously, Japan has many, many more cases, but it gives you an idea of how serious the world is taking this. That is a major development in Japan. And now, and because we're all so freaked out about this, the Pope sneezes and suddenly the world goes crazy. Here is Travis Danraj reporting on The Morning Show this morning. Pope Francis is a bit under the weather. The 83-year-old skipped a planned mass with Rome clergy today due to an illness. There's no word on the nature of his illness, but the Pope was seen coughing and blowing his nose during the Ash Wednesday Mass at the Vatican. This comes as Italy struggles with COVID-19, which has seen more than 400 positive cases. It is uh, Travis Danrash reporting on the pontiff. Now, from California to Italy and beyond, more cases are popping up with no clear origin, and that is worrying. These are people who didn't travel abroad, not linked to another case. Health authorities in these places are all working hard to find the original source of the quote-unquote patient zero. And, of course, keep it here with Global News Radio throughout the course of the day for more developments locally Later on this afternoon, around 3 o'clock, the Medical Officer of Health for Ontario will update the province on the sixth confirmed case. This is the spouse of a woman in her 60s who had recently returned from Iran. He has also been self-isolated and is confirmed to have COVID-19. And all of this is a big concern for the Iranian-Canadian community. We have such a large Iranian-Canadian community here in Toronto. Iran has seen 26 people die from the virus. Many of its regional rivals are blaming it for mishandling the crisis. The criticism is falling among familiar political fault lines. Iran neighbors have all announced measures now to cut links with the country, either completely closing their borders or suspending air traffic or limiting travel. Canada has a travel ban or travel warning, pardon me. Sarah Alamardi, Mardani, pardon me, is president of the Iranian Women's Organization of Ontario and joins me on the line. Hi, Sarah. Hi there, how are you? I'm good. What What's being said within the community? What kind of reaction has there been to the news coming out of Iran? Obviously, there's, there's grave concern in terms of the spread of the virus. Um, people are monitoring the situation carefully. Um, and uh, we, as an organization, the Iranian Women's Organization of Ontario, have, take certain, have taken certain precautions over our Telegram channel, social media platforms, and uh, in regards to our programs and, and our, you know, our membership coming in and out of the organization to advise them that if they have traveled back and forth in the last six weeks to Iran or have come in contact with anyone that has recently traveled back and forth, that for them to take certain precautions and maybe avoid public spaces for at least a minimum of two weeks um, before uh, and, and monitor their situation to see if, if they develop symptoms. Sarah, this is going to have a a big impact on Iranian-Canadian businesses especially. Absolutely. Um, Obviously, you know, uh, we we have had many discussions. There's, there's, you know, many community members are talking about this issue. Um, We have received maybe a few phone calls, uh, but in terms of 
you know, how we're taking precautions. I think as a community, we recognize, and, and we have a lot of responsible citizens that recognize that uh, if they have traveled back and forth, that they are self-quarantining and that they are isolating themselves from the general public just to monitor their situation and, and ensure that um, if they do develop symptoms, that they are taking proper precautions in terms of seeking the medical treatment and the help that they need. Sarah, much of this story also revolves around a mistrust of authorities in the Iranian regime. How is that playing out in the community? Um, I think it's along the same narratives as any other issue that uh, arises out of Iran, um, particularly when it comes to a crisis matter. Um, You know, it's very rare that any country outside of, I believe, North America and Europe and obviously in Asia, um, you know, there's certain countries that, and, and Iran is included that, you know, doesn't have the medical infrastructure or, or is prepared to, to deal with uh, a medical crisis such as this. So I think, you know, there's, there's obviously great concerns in terms of how the medical authorities in the country are handling it, how the government is responding, how they're uh, taking precautions to isolate those uh, folks that might be impacted or or, uh, or have or might be carrying the virus so there there's always questions in terms of the practices and and the way government uh deals with these issues particularly in iran um so and i and i do know that they don't have um the medical infrastructure that we have here in canada or in the united states so that is that is of course of great concern is is some of the blame for that because of ongoing sanctions um, possibly. Um, there could be a number of factors that contribute to I'm it. I'm just wondering in terms of the local community, if that, I mean, if that is something that you're hearing on your message boards and within your, the community. You know, like, people don't really speak in those terms when they're talking about this issue. They're not looking at specific sanctions, but, you know, obviously that is a contributing factor in terms of uh, medical supplies and, and, and things that, you know, are accessible to Iran. But I think as, you know, in terms of priorities and creating that medical infrastructure internally, um, I don't think it's at the level that we enjoy it in Canada or the United States. I think that is the, the bigger issue. Sarah Alemar Dani is the president of the Iranian Women's Organization of Ontario. I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. So I think the other big story out of this for COVID-19 is, is not only how it is impacting local communities, especially ones that have now facing travel uh, restrictions or, you know, the, the list from Ontario of the number of countries that we're now watching and checking. If you've traveled to, you know, these countries, then you have to be very vigilant if you show any symptoms. But I think the bigger question for a lot of people is what about travel? I mean, March break is just around the corner. I'm going away. Maybe you're going away. I mean, if you're not, I'm telling you, you know somebody who is. Are you thinking to yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't do that? Well, what are your options? Hey, dude, should you shave your beard because of coronavirus? Is that something you should do? Did you see this yesterday? An old Center for Disease Control and Prevention infographic with beard shaving tips has now reemerged and become vir- viral. 
Now, because of COVID-19, face masks, special respirators have become common. A lot of people wearing them. Gwyneth Paltrow on a flight. I don't know if she had to shave before she put her on. But but here's here's the thing. You got this whole uh, infographic now that says, here's the kind of beard that you should have to minimize the fact that your face mask will have a seal around your nose and your mouth. This is where we're at. Also, beards are dumb. I only say that because I can't grow a good one. So you're only allowed to have a goatee then? No. No, I once tried to grow a goatee. I ended up looking too much like Nick Nurse. I look exactly <laughs> like Nick Nurse if I have a goatee. I look, I'm, it's, it's a bit spooky. It's spooky. But for COVID-19 fears, here is the thing. If you're working yourself up into just a kind of a righteous, absolutely fear and panic. This is not a time for fear. All right. Ted is Tedros, who is uh, Tedros, who is the head of the World Health Organization, reminding me, do not panic. Now is not. But the most important thing is to calm down. Okay. Calm, calm down. Thank you. I need to calm. Everybody needs to calm down. And especially when it comes to travel. Do you need to actually quickly run out and cancel whatever travel plans you have? Can you even do that? Irfan Jetha is CEO of Travel Health Now and joins me on the line with some important information and some perspective. Hello. Hello, how are you? I am I'm good. I'm not gonna panic. I have no fear. I'm gonna go away in March break still, but if if people are worried about that, what recourse do they have? So I think first and foremost, uh, it's really, really important to um uh, just check the Health Canada or the Can- uh, Government of Canada website on sort of the current uh, travel advisories and uh, and sort of what they're recommending uh, in terms of uh, you know where to where to avoid or where is safe to travel to. Um, but uh, other than that, I think really it comes down to uh, knowledge. Um, so really, really important to understand uh, where. Uh, you are traveling to, um, uh, not just necessarily country, but really specifically sort of regions within countries because uh, risks uh, can vary uh, depending on which specific part of a country you're going to. Um, and uh, and really being prepared is, um, uh, you know, the, the, the really the basics of, uh, of most sort of um, hygiene when it comes to uh, even just things like the flu, um, washing your hands frequently with soap and water, if that's not available, using sanitizer, uh, eating and drinking safely uh, while traveling, so making sure uh, not to eat undercooked food or meat and drinking um, uh, sort of uh, bottled water or purified water, um, and uh, and you know really being cautious about you know coughing into your arm and and uh, being aware of your environment, who's around you, are they sick? If so, take those extra precautions. You know, everything you're saying makes it makes so much sense, and it, and, yeah. and it's it's rational. Okay. So I understand all of that. And as rational as I am, that does not mean that others will be rational. And I will read to you this story from Canadian Press that has come out this morning. A cruise ship has now reached Mexico's Caribbean island of Cozumel, and passengers will be allowed to disembark. But the ship had been refused entry at ports in Grand Cayman, and Jamaica due to fears over COVID-19. Why? Because one crew member from the Philippines was sick with the common seasonal flu. So my point is, 
Should you be thinking about canceling your vacation, not because there's any real risk to you, but what might happen if something like this occurs when you're on a cruise? Um, I think it really depends on um, on what your comfort level is. Uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, when you are going to travel anywhere, um, it's really important to seek professional advice, talking to a certified uh, travel health uh, care provider um, to, to, to sort of uh, ensure that uh, when, you, uh, when you do encounter situations like this, that you are prepared and you know what to do. Um, you know, me personally, I wouldn't cancel a vacation uh, unless it's, you know, in, a, in an area that, you know, the government of Canada says is sort of on a travel um, advisory. And, and in that case, I would dig a lot deeper and, and decide, you know, for me personally, if that makes um, sense to, to take the risk to travel there. Um, but in reality, um, you know, traveling safely is all about being prepared and uh, uh, and really being smart while traveling. Yeah, you make another good point because there's not a lot, a whole lot of all-inclusives in Iran that people go to over the March break, but a lot of people do go to Mexico. So if you are concerned, and I get your point here, but generally if you've booked one of these things, Unless there's a travel advisory or something that comes out from from Canada, from the, the federal government, you really don't have any recourse to cancel here, do you? No, I think as long as you take all the right precautions before you travel, um, I'd say absolutely. It should be but fine. a financial recourse, you're not going to get your money back, is my point. Uh you clarify the question? Well, so if you have a, if I have a trip for a week to, to Mexico, the, the, you know, whether it's a rational move or not, for me to say, I want my money back because I, I'm scared over COVID-19, unless the government comes out and says, well, you know, Canadians shouldn't travel to Mexico, there's no recourse there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I feel better. <laughs> but you would not cancel. That's your point. You would not cancel. Me personally, I would love to go to Mexico right now. I would too. I would too. I woke up this morning and I thought, I want to go back. I was just there. I want to go back. Rafan Jetha, CEO of Travel Health Now. Thank you so much for your perspective on all of this. Thank you. Appreciate the time. So what do you think? Are, are you reconsidering? I tell you, yesterday I was talking on the program about the fact that I'm going to Switzerland in, in March. And it's a, this is a bucket list uh, vacation for me. I'm going to go snowboard um, in Zermatt. And I just, I'm so excited about it. I, I just can't, I, I think about it all the time. I, I'm just so obsessed with it. And yesterday afternoon, my wife, who is absolutely the smartest person I know uh, and is the most calm and most rational, she texted me and says, hey, you think our Switzerland trip is going to be impacted by COVID-19? Now, she didn't say it's going to, but she asked the question. And I think everybody's asking that question right now. If you've got any travel plans at all, you're thinking, I don't know. But the most important thing is to calm down. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you, Tedros. That is the director general. How'd you get to be director general of the World Health Organization? You're thinking to yourself, I don't know how long you are, that thing is. Like, I don't know what the term is, but he's probably thinking to himself, why me? Why has it got to happen on my watch? Welcome back to the program. You know, every once in a while you need a diversion. 
Every once in a while, just the news gets so heavy that you think to yourself, you know what the city needs right now? It needs a cat stuck in a pole, up a pole, a cat on a pole. And that's exactly what we got today. Earlier this morning, a apparently feral cat, a quote-unquote neighborhood kitty, was found on top of a hydropole way up there at Dufferin and Bloor around 8 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, there's people out there, and it's since it's a cat, of course, people just lose their minds. And there's, out, there's people out there putting food down. And next thing you know, our crime specialist, Catherine McDonald, shows up. And now normally when Catherine McDonald shows up in your neighborhood, you're like, oh, man, that's not good. That's not a good sign. I mean, Catherine's a lovely woman, but if she shows up in your neighborhood, likely something bad has happened. But no, our crime specialist has a way with not only people, but also with felines. Listen to Catherine McDonald here with a cat call to a cat. Come on down. Come on. You can jump. Very scared. Yeah. Yeah, you can jump. The cat is like, I don't know. The cat is way, way up there. Cats are deadly animals. And if it jumps down and it lands on you, claws out, it's it's curtains. That's curtains for you, man. So this is a dangerous situation. Just shortly before 1130 this morning, I'm happy to report that Toronto Hydro crews arrived on the scene. Somebody goes up in one of those orange buckets. Cat rescued. Hashtag HydroCat. God, so, I hate oh, this freaking cat. Cats, the worst. Why is it always cats? Hey, remember when we were just freaked out because we thought uh, Pickering was going to explode? Remember when that happened? Man, 2020, man, it just keeps on giving. Am I right or am I right? So now we have a report into that false alarm. Alarm. You might remember when the, your phone goes off on a Sunday morning and you're like, oh, hmm end of the world. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> but it takes forever for the government to say, no, it's okay, you can calm down. Here is the Canadian press report on that report about the false notification. The alert about an incident at Pickering was pushed to cell phones, radios, and TVs across the province on the morning of Sunday, January 12th. A report today says the duty officer at the Provincial Emergency Operations Centre mistakenly thought they'd logged out of a live system and into the training system to send a test alert. But it took 108 minutes to give an all-clear. The report says the officer immediately realized the error and asked supervisors how to fix it, but they're uncertain about whether or how to send a corrective alert to everyone who had seen the first. Allison Jones, The Canadian Press, Toronto. Imagine being that duty officer, just like, ah, hey, boss. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's a nice Sunday. It's good. Everything's good. No, the training session's going good. Just, uh, well, I just, I just scared the bajabbers out of the entire province. Uh, oh, and we don't know how to correct it. Eee. Oh, what a right pickle we're in. That's a pickle. I want to talk about what's happening with the TDSB. Letters going out this morning. Notification going out to a lot of parents of a lot of different schools that their kids are going to have staggered start times. Could be 9 a.m., could be 9.15 a.m., 
So now instead of dropping your kid off at uh, my son's late 35, it could be much later. And I don't know about you. If you got kids in the TDSB in the public school system, man, like trying to get your kid to school and then get to work, that is not easy. I mean, you're rushing them out the door. You're just, and then basically, sometimes I barely slow down when I drop my kid off at school. Just open the door and just, get out! Daddy's got to get to work! Well, now the TDSB says, you know, you might actually have to wait until much longer. So Global News this morning was at a couple of schools that are going to be impacted by this. And I love what this one parent has to say here. This is Anthony Goody, who pretty much sums up what it's like to be a parent of a young child in this city. Kind of harder to, if you have a job, um, getting to work on time and bringing your school to kids to school could be a little bit difficult, but um, nothing you can really do about it. So you just got to roll with it. Yeah. So there- yeah. It's, welcome to being a parent. Well, this sucks. What am I going to do about it? You know, teachers are on strike. Well, this, this sucks. Just got to roll with it. Now, here is Ryan Bird from the Toronto District School Board saying, like, this thing is going to save millions of dollars, and it's more to it than just money. No, no. This is about efficiency. When you plug in all the information, the start times of schools, the end time of schools, speed limits, one-way streets, all of that information gets put into the software, and it spits out the most efficient bus route possible. So you can increase that efficiency by staggering those bell times. You could double up, like once kids are dropped off at one school, that bus can do another run and drop students off at another. Oh, okay. So now we have a, just we got a computer program. Essentially, Uber is now in charge of the TDSB. I mean, well, the bus runs smoother, so there. Uh, Here again is Ryan Bird's talking more about all of these shift times that come into effect in the new school year later this year in the fall. It'll range really anywhere from 5 to 30 minute difference either way. So you could have schools starting at maybe 8.15, ending at 3.45, depending on uh, if there's the shift in the morning would be answered at the end time with the same uh, shift, essentially. That doesn't make things any easier. We talked to one parent today who said, okay, well, now you move the shift in the morning so I can't get to work at the right time. And now you move the shift in the afternoon and I can't work the afternoon shift either. Now the TDSB says, well, you know, listen, we understand not everybody is going to be happy about this, but this is going to save millions of dollars that we can put elsewhere. And it's more efficient. Meanwhile, at Queens Park, as you well know, we continue to have labor disruption. We t- still have all the problems, even though the elementary teachers are, are not striking for the next two weeks. They've promised in phase seven, which comes up uh, in March on the 9th, March 9th, they said we're going to go to phase seven. What is phase seven? Well, we're not telling you. But it, it's going to be bad. You know it's going to be bad because it just sounds bad, phase seven. But here is the premier in the house this morning being asked about the impasse. Now, yesterday he was in the house, didn't take any questions. Basically what happens is when the opposition stands up, they ask a question. They always ask the premier, premier, why are you so dumb? Uh, And then the premier says, "Uh, uh, minister of education. And the minister of education stands up and says, whatever, you know. But today, so basically he can decide when he wants to answer and when he doesn't. So Doug Ford gets up in the house today and listen to this. This is this I think is a pointed attack. It's not terribly new from the Ford government, but 
this has that Doug Ford populist spin on it. Go, Doug. It's all about compensation with the head of the unions. We support the teachers, the hardworking men and women that are out there teaching our kids, but the unions have just lost track. It's all about lining their pockets. It's all about lining their pockets. You know, the the premier has attempted this sort of divide and conquer strategy with the teachers versus teachers unions. Oh, I talked to I talked to the teachers, the rank and file. They want to go back to work. They only want one percent. Nope, it's not not about. And I can tell you this. I mean, you know, there are unions. Perhaps there are unions out there that you could actually do that where you can do an end run around the leadership of the union and, and appeal directly to you know, the members and say, well, look, you, you don't what about you? Maybe you want it. Huh? Vote it. But that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen with the elementary teachers. It's not going to happen with the high school teachers. All teachers unions are, I mean, they're cohesive units. And that divide and conquer strategy is not going to play. So much to talk about today. we got cats up poles. We've got worries about oncoming pandemics. I'm not going to panic. Global pandemic. I'm not. Keep in mind that later on today, the regularly scheduled update from Toronto and Ontario's Medical Officer of Health. It's a barn burner of an update, by the way. It happens a couple times a week. And they just they come out and they answer questions and they're super calm. And, you know, everybody calms down. And then they come out the next day and say, oh, we have another case. That's what they're going to talk about today is the fact that they've got a sixth case. They held an uh, unscheduled update yesterday because we had a fifth case. Now we got a sixth case. Both of these people, uh, both had traveled to Iran, husband and wife, both in their 60s, self-isolating. So we're keeping an eye on that. And, of course, the other story that I absolutely adore today, I mentioned it off the top of the show, swimming pools. Swimming pools. Stephen Del Duca, who likely will win on March 7th, the leadership of the provincial liberal party, has been found to have an illegal swimming pool in his backyard. Talk about rich. Talk about <laughs> ironic. <laughs> Just get right into the deep end, shall we? All right. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. It's been a lot of fun. I am calm. I remain calm. You should be calm. Everybody be calm. But the most important thing is to calm down. Thank you, Tedros.